Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, and thanks for joining today's Facets Friday episode. Today we'll be learning from Stacy Chart. Stacy joined Facets in 2020 as the office administrator and shortly after became a program director. Although her educational background is in early childhood education, and she has many years of experience as a medical office professional, she describes herself as, quote, just a mom, end quote, as that is where she truly has gotten her life skills to become a successful FACETS facilitator. Her journey with FACETS began several years prior to her employment with them in 2013, when she and her husband attended the first FACETS training with Diane Malbin. The training was life-changing for them, and it became pretty clear that their adopted daughter, who was nearly two at the time, likely had an FASD. Following their daughter's official diagnosis from the University of Washington, they became fierce parent advocates and set out to learn as much as possible. This led Stacy and her husband to become certified facilitators of the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model in 2016. Stacy began a website, www.charthope.org, to educate people about FASD and to share hope and personal stories. She and her husband have facilitated workshops in the Willamette Valley of Oregon and all the way to New York. Stacy lives in Oregon with her husband and youngest daughter, now 10, who has an FASD, on a mini farm, in addition to their young daughter. They have three adult children and three grandchildren. Hey, everybody. Welcome to my favorite day of the week, Facets Friday. I love Facets Friday because I get to learn just like the listeners, just like the audience. I get to learn so much in one jam-packed neurobehavioral Facets episode. So I am thrilled to be speaking with Stacy Chart who has this amazing history with facets and she and her husband have really just gone across the country teaching the neurobehavioral model and they live the neurobehavioral model. And I just love hearing Stacy's uh, story. And I am happy to talk about today's subject because we get questions about today's topic a lot. How do you make the holiday season more neurobehavioral friendly? How do you accommodate in getting ready and during the holiday season? So with that long introduction and with that introduction of our topic, I'd like to welcome Stacy Chart to FASD Hope. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, <laughs> Stacy. So before we dive into today's topic, which is preparing for the holidays. Can you share just a little bit about your family's journey with us and then how you became involved in the FASD and neurobehavioral populations? Sure. So um, our journey really did begin um, back in 2011, actually, when we 
uh, were placed with a little a little foster girl <laughs> from foster care. She was four weeks old. Um, and at that time we had three neurotypical children. Our youngest was 16. So we were kind of starting over at this point. <laughs> um, and right from the start, we knew something was a little different with her. Um, <clears throat> she would, when we were holding her, she would violently arch her back, um, almost like she was throwing a tantrum, but babies at three months old don't generally throw temper tantrums. So that was kind of different and she never slept well. Um, she had been diagnosed with failure to thrive, which always made me kind of feel like maybe I wasn't doing something right. Um, and what could I be doing differently to help her to thrive? But it, it wasn't that. Um, we just knew something wasn't right. She was really, really slow growing. And yet she was the happiest kid. She was just so happy and just had this abundance of um, never ending energy. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until a lot later, actually, when my husband and I were kind of trying to figure out what might have been going on, that it was revealed to us that she had been possibly exposed prenatally to alcohol and drugs. And um, our caseworker actually referred us to our local county health clinic, um, where I was put in touch with a cocoon nurse. And a cocoon nurse deals with medically fragile children um, and, and actually works with our mothers as well. And she was the one who actually told me about Diane Melvin. And she said, you know, it kind of sounds like maybe um, your daughter is having some symptoms of fetal alcohol syndrome. And um, she said, I know that she does training. She's in the Portland area. And so my husband and I got online and we looked and immediately we signed up for her um, her next train three-day training that she had. And we were at that training and I remember sitting there and the second day, um, I just fell apart. I just started bawling. And she was talking about symptoms and describing so many of the things that we had been seeing with our own daughter. And it was like she was describing our daughter on that day. And I, I just thought, oh my gosh, this, this is what she has. I, I'm just sure of it. Um, she was talking about how sometimes there's sensory issues and even as infants, it can present as that um, back arching. And just, you know, it seems like they're throwing a temper tantrum. Um, there was just so many things. And, and I thought this makes sense. This is what it is. So we decided to pursue a diagnosis at the University of Washington, and um, she did end up having static encephalopathy, sentinel findings, alcohol exposed. So fetal alcohol syndrome with mild facial features or some facial features. Um, when we left there, they had told us that we need to build a team. And so Lance and I just set out to find all of the resources we could find do all of the trainings that we could do. We just really, um, we wanted the world around her to understand her. We wanted to understand her better. And we just kind of wanted to make the world a better place for kids like her. Um, and so that's in 2016, both my husband and I completed the training um, to become certified facilitators of the FACETS neurobehavioral model. And then since then, we actually traveled throughout the US and Canada delivering trainings, but also taking other trainings, um, again, to just continue learning as much as we could about fetal alcohol syndrome. And even though we've had all of this training, I always tell people that I'm just a mom. When they say, what's your background? I say, I'm just a mom. And the reason that I say that is because when it boils down to it, you know, unless, um, 
unless I can put this, all this information in practice in real life, then it's, it has no value to me. And let me tell you something. She has been the best teacher and she's the one that proves that this neurobehavioral model works. She definitely lets me know when I get it wrong, but let me tell you, she even more so lets me know when I don't. (laughs) So, um, that's kind of how we became involved in facets. And, um, that was kind of a a lot of story, but I think I covered it all. (laughs) (laughs) No. And I'm just nodding my head because I remember the first time I read trying differently rather than harder when we were just starting the journey of, okay, we're ready to get a diag. Well, we had been trying to get a diagnosis, but, um, you know, what you said when you started crying because you realized they were explaining your daughter, when I read trying differently rather than harder, I, I started crying also because I was like, this is our son. This is our son. You know, you just, when you see in front of you, what you've been wondering for so many years, you know, or where, when you hear in the training, you know, my goodness. Wow. And like, okay, so we have something in common, Stacey, besides our farm life, (laughs) our small (laughs) farm life, which you have animals and I don't. So I kind of have that envy there, but, um, we also have a large gap between our kids because our son is 19 and our daughter is six. So we have a 13 year, not as much as you, you have a bigger gap, but so before we, we talk into your fastest journey, just mom to mom, let's talk about that gap. We, I, I, there's actually a term for it. It's called gap parenting. It's when, you know, people have this unexpected large gap between their children. How was it for you adjusting? Oh my goodness. Hard actually, to be quite honest. Um, so yeah, our, our oldest, or I'm sorry, our youngest son was 16 of the old group. So, um, when, (laughs) when we applied for foster care, we actually said, we don't want any infants. We would like school-age children. We're not interested in adopting. You know, we set all of these guidelines and the first call that we got were, was for this newborn baby, Um, she was four weeks old and, um, it was a long-term placement, possibly adoption. And we said no, actually at first. And, um, (laughs) and I was like, no, we, we don't have any baby stuff. Um, and I was working full-time and my husband was working full-time and boy, we were not set up for, for a new baby, but you know what? Things really seemed to work out. And I had told a couple of people at work and they said, oh, I just had this baby four weeks ago and I have all these baby clothes and blankets. And another friend gave us a car seat and a stroller and a baby bathtub. And all of a sudden we got all of the stuff. And, um, and then I found daycare as well. And I thought, you know what? I think there's something higher that's telling us that maybe, <laughs> maybe we need to Absolutely. So my husband and I, um, agreed to it. And, um, we went and picked her up and I remember she was tiny, teeny, tiny, only about, uh, less than six pounds. I don't remember exactly, but the first couple of nights, oh boy, she was up about six times every night. And I was like, oh, this is exhausting. I'm too old for this. (laughs) And I didn't realize you could take time off of work. Um, just like an adoption, um, or having a new baby, I did not realize. So I, I kind of went through it for two days. And then by the third day, I was like, 
I need to, I need to take a day off. I am so tired. (laughs) But then after that, we kind of got into a pattern of no sleep, but it was okay. It all worked out. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's nice because the older kids did help with her quite a bit. Um, And actually my son, he would drive her, his, his school was right next to her daycare. (gasps) So he drove her to school to daycare every single day. That's so cool. He went over and checked on her. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they're still pretty close actually. She's 10. Um, and he's married, but, um, yeah, they're still pretty close. She just had a sleepover last weekend. Oh, with them. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. That makes me feel so good. I love that. It's it's funny because my husband and I joke, we say that with our son, we had no wisdom, but lots of energy. <laughs> And then he was the one who taught us everything through his journey. And then now with our daughter, we have all this wisdom, but no, no energy. You know, we had all the energy for our son, none of the energy for our daughter. And now we're like, okay, we have all this great wisdom for our daughter, but we don't have the energy. We're like, that's that's why people have children when they're young, right? (laughs) Exactly. But you know, it's, it, I totally agree. There is really a sweet bond between our son and our daughter that he, she just thinks he's the coolest person in the world. When you have a big brother that just, my big brother is a woodworker and he does this and that, you know, it's very sweet. So I imagine it's very sweet for you to see that bond of how your daughter is with your older children. Yeah. She has two awesome big brothers and one awesome big sister. And she's an aunt to three um, three little, two nephews and a niece. So. There, there are not many 10 year olds that can say that. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of fun too. Oh, that's awesome. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. So let's talk about your facets training and when you and your husband became facets facilitators. Yeah. So we actually took the training, um, in 2015 and then we got our, um, certificates in 2016 And, um, and right after that, actually, we traveled to New York, we have family in New York, and we traveled and gave a um, presentation at Star Adoption Agency. And then we came home, we gave uh, presentations to our church and to CASA and to um, the health clinic and, um, and to ARC and all kinds of different places. So really tried to get the word out. And, um, and I started a, a I actually started a website, um, chart hope. And then I, um, would kind of blog about different things that were happening and kind of made some funny stories and just, it kind of helped me. It was almost therapeutic to, to write (laughs) things that were happening. So, (laughs) but sometimes, you know, I like to keep it positive, but sometimes as you know, things aren't always positive. And so, um, so I would try to keep it real and, and let people know that it's not, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard life sometimes. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. We, sh- we share that too. I can, that resonates with me because we share, you know, in our title, FASD hope, we, we need to have that hope there, but yes. we don't sugarcoat things. You know, we, we share, you know, the stuff that's not so nice because that, is you need to be aware of that. It is a hard journey and it can be very isolating. So it sounds like what you and your husband did 
is you wanted to be there and and from what you learned about your daughter and and about FASD, you wanted to share that with as many people as you could so that I love what you said in the beginning that you wanted to create this community around her that would would understand her and nurture her and love her. I love that. That to me is like, I think that is what we wish all of our kids could have this, this just instant support community, almost like, you know, if you think of like a cell, you know, there's the nucleus and then there's the membrane and everything kind of like that, you know, you just want this surrounding uh, of support for, for your child that has an FASD or an, an NB diagnosis. So. And if that, people understand her, then they're going to understand other ind- individuals. Yes. That are absolutely. 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 So we're going to dive into today's topic, which is preparing for the holidays. So we're talking about Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, those holidays that come around, you know, we're, we're airing this in late October. So we're getting ready for those, the holiday season. And, you know, we tend to, it seems like every year, the holidays season starts earlier and earlier, but <laughs> now is really a good time to kind of think about your neurobehavioral approach to the holidays, because if you're new to this neurobehavioral approach, or even if you've been in it for a little while, it's always good to just step back and take a look and say, okay, what's working what do we need and what's not working? So why, when we think of the holiday season, why does the holiday season um, dysregulate those with FASD and other brain-based diagnoses? Well, listen, everything about the holidays can be disruptive um, to an individual who is craving routine, craving structure. You know, they might be easily overstimulated or have difficulty living up to our values or our family's values and expectations surrounding the holidays. Um, And if you think about it, around every holiday, there's usually extra family, um, different food. There's lots of festivities, which usually include lights and sound, loud noises, music, decorations, so many things that can be kind of unsettling. And it's stressful for parents and neurotypical people. So just think about how much harder it is Um, for our individuals that have brain-based differences. So um, I think that it's really important to keep in mind all of those primary behavioral characteristics when we're thinking about the holidays and really think about um, things that our individual children struggle with so that we can make a plan um, around the holidays, around the things that we do for the holidays. And that's a really good point too, is that keeping the primary behavioral characteristics, the primary um, symptoms in the forefront when we approach the holiday. That is a wonderful point because we know that if those are not addressed, then we lead to secondary and tertiary. And we, you know, so we also know that um, there are just so many different angles of the holidays that, that can dysregulate somebody with an FASD or NB diagnosis, you know, sensory, physical, social, you said them all. So that's, that's a really good point. And again, I mean, your go-to book, my go-to book is trying differently rather than harder. I mean, if I need to just brush up and say, Hey, let's, let's look at it. It's like my guidebook, you know, it's, it's a great book to just refer to, especially when you're approaching when you know we'll be a busy season, when you know we'll be a social season, you know. So I'm I'm really glad that you're pointing that out. 
we're going to pause for a brief facets break. Have you visited the new facets website lately? On facets.org, you can find many things, including updated resources, updated workshop offerings, and facets new practice groups. Prerequisite for the practice groups are the six-week training webinars. There are updated resources, webinars, and much, much more. So check out facets.org. That's F-A-S-C-E-T-S dot org. And now back to our episode. All right. So we just talked about why the holidays can dysregulate those with FASD or NB diagnoses. What are some key neurobehavioral things that we should keep in mind besides having the, the, the try differently rather than the harder book on standby (laughs) besides that, what are some key things that we should keep in mind as the holidays approach? Well, um, I can tell you a lot of things that not to do. Um, you said that sometimes, sometimes, uh, I'm actually a slower learner than <laughs> I always said that I'm a fast learner on my resumes and stuff. And then I thought, you know, when I raise a child with FASD, she proved that wrong. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, so let's, before we answer that question, let's go, let's go to the what not to do. I like that <laughs> before we talk about the themes, because that just caught my attention. Let's talk about some key like examples of things that are not such good ideas. <laughs> okay. Well, I do have a lot of those. Okay. So our daughter actually um, really struggles with impulsivity and self-control um, as do a lot of other um, individuals with FASD. And a few years ago, I took her shopping with me to Costco. I don't know if you guys have a Costco, but it's a big box store. So I took her in early September when they were just getting out all of those Halloween costumes. And, um, (laughs) you know, she just had to have one. She was like, oh, mom, I just really want to be this princess. I just really, really, really want to be this princess. And so I went ahead and bought her one because we had made the mistake in the past about um, not buying exactly what she wanted at the time. And um, then they were sold out. They sell out very quickly. So, and sometimes I don't really think things through. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) So I went ahead and I bought her that costume. Well, my daughter also struggles greatly with dismaturity. Um, And her developmental age is quite a bit younger in many areas than her than her um, chronological age. And because of this, she had absolutely no issues wearing that costume everywhere we went, everywhere. I'm talking about to grocery stores, to church, to daycare, everywhere for the next month. Like she wore it all the time. And by the time Halloween actually came around, her costume was kind of dirty and it was worn out. (laughs) And she said, mom, I need a new costume for Halloween because this one's old. I've had it forever. (laughs) And um, so I'm just going to tell you right now, (laughs) based from experience, if your child has impulsivity issues and, um, you know, maybe it's a good idea to wait on that costume. (laughs) That's right. That's a really good example, actually. And you know, that's an example we have experienced. Yeah, quite a few times because we know that kids, especially with brain based diagnoses, they can't wait that impulsivity. It's like, I have to have it now, you know, and especially not 
really a problem if they don't see it. Right. So if they see it, then then it's yeah. Exactly. It's Exactly. So maybe back off on the shopping trips, you know, (laughs) or maybe have it be somewhere where, you know, you know, (laughs) a garden center or I don't know, someplace that, you know, exactly. Oh, my goodness. That's a great example. That's a great example. Um, And that can be with anything, really. I mean, we oftentimes when we go to stores, we'll avoid an aisle that has like squishmallows, which um, she loves to have those little squishmallows because she craves that, um, soft sensory anyway. So yeah, we, we do that a lot. My husband will spot him and he'll be like a uh, beeline to the right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just nodding my head. Cause my daughter loves squishmallows too. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so then like moving on through the holidays, you know, she can't handle a lot of big dinners. If you think about, um, big dinners, there's lots of people there. It's very loud. Um, our expectation is for them to, to sit down, to eat their food, um, sit down on their bottom in their chair. And, and those things are things that she really can't do. Um, and, and that's hard sometimes because our family members also have those values and expectations. Um, and so if she leaves, they'll kind of wonder, but they've also lived through tantrums at the table. So we have let her know that it's okay. It's okay if she needs to step away, if she needs to go up to her room or go to a quiet place and that's okay. She won't be in trouble. We know that that's an accommodation and that's um, something that she's doing for herself to help her self-regulate. And usually when we give her that out, she can come back in when she's ready. Um, so that's an expectation and, and a value because, you know, that's, that's a hard thing. That's kind of a values clash. And, um, when I think about holidays, I'm one that really wants to make the magic for my kids. And I want to make the magic big time. (laughs) And that does not really, um, fit with her neurobehavioral, um, differences. And so I've really kind of had to have her take the lead on that. And, um, at Christmas time, I can't really decorate too early. Usually it, I, I used to do it like Thanksgiving weekend, everything was up and we had the Christmas songs playing and that's a lot for her. Like she, she needs a little bit of downtime and time to settle. And I used to put out presents. Like as soon as I would buy presents, I would wrap them and put them under the tree. Well, (laughs) it wasn't long ago. I told you I'm a slow learner, right? (laughs) So I think it was actually last year that I decided to not put the presents out because she could not leave them alone. She Mm -hmm. would take them out every, every day. She'd take them out. She'd sort them. She'd stack them and she just could not leave them alone. So now we don't even put any presents out, not a single present until the day or two prior to um, when we're going to open them. So there's just lots of things because like I said, kids can get very overstimulated um, and parents are stressed out and that's, that's just not really a good combination. <laughs> um, one of the other things I like to, to involve her as much as possible. And it's important to involve your kids as much as, as much as they want to, or as much as they're able. Um, and so, you know, we've asked our daughter to help with putting names on Christmas packages, you know, things like that when we're wrapping. And one year, <laughs> my husband said, just write your name on, on the packages 
um, but make sure to write little because there's not a lot of room on the on the tag. And so her name is Tiva and she wrote on every single package from Tiva Little. Very concrete thing. Very concrete. <laughs> so, so make sure, you know, whatever you want them to do, make sure that you're very direct with your words because we know a lot of um, kids really have trouble with abstract concepts and they'll do exactly what you mean. So <laughs> um, other things that can really help with any kind of activity is creating a sensory bag or a comfort bag that has things that um, that will kind of um, help them if things get overwhelming. So um, in ours, we have our daughter's blanket um, and usually a little stuffy or some sort of some sort of stuffed animal always have headphones like noise canceling headphones because noise can be too much. Um, usually we have some sort of sensory snack. So um, you know, there's a lot of times there's different things um, like crunchy foods or chewy foods, beef jerky, something like that, um, that can kind of help stimulate um, heavy work. It's almost like heavy work um, for their mouth. <laughs> and then um, I would say downsize your schedule. So we try, a lot of people try to pack in a lot of things at the holidays. And sometimes that just does not work out. That is hard. So allow for some downtime. Don't try to do everything because that's kind of a recipe for disaster. Meet your child where they're at. So, you know, where they're at developmentally. Um, and remember that expectations are oftentimes premeditated disappointments. My oldest daughter actually told me that one. And um, I think that's a quote that's been around for a while, but she, she said, you know what, mom, expectations are premeditated disappointments. And it's so true. So just kind of adjust your expectations. Um, yes. Yeah. And that's a great point, Stacey, because Melissa Ellickson in our two episodes ago, two facets Fridays ago, she talked about examining our values. And this is a really mm -hmm. good time to do that. You know, we're, we talk about our general values, but let's talk about our values during, through, you know, the holiday season. That's important because we come with these traditions and, you know, our family always did this, or we always did this or that. And when you parent a child that has an FASD or brain-based diagnosis, you need to examine that and say, okay, it, this is not fitting what they need, or it's not meeting them where they're at. So I think that ties in very closely with, with what you're saying, you know, look at your expectations before you go into the holiday season. And I love that downsize your schedule. That is awesome. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to highlight that and put that in our notes today because so often we just pack on things and I think we feel guilty if we don't say no, but we shouldn't, we should know that we can't go to four parties in one week or, you know, three dinners in one night or something. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. And don't get guilted into things that you might be, you know, that might be dysregulating to your child. Yes. You always have to do what's right for your family. Yes. And yes. that's the priority. Um, and that is hard because it's not just our values, but it's our family's values, our extended family's values. 
And um, that might not be in line with what our children can handle. Yes, absolutely. It is hard. (laughs) Any final, uh, you've given us some wonderful examples of real life accommodations and preparations and things like that. Um, before we, we just talk about more about the work you're doing, any final thoughts about going into the holiday season and how we can just best prepare? Just take a step back. Remember to always let your child kind of take the lead. Make sure that you um, leave some rooms for breaks or for a quiet place because um, it can be extremely overstimulating. So and just give yourself grace because <laughs> everything's not going to work out perfect. If you watch those Hallmark movies and think that that's what your life is going to be like, you should probably rearrange your thoughts a little bit because <laughs> it might not. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a hundred percent. Right. Oh my goodness. So Stacy, before we uh, wrap things up, can you talk a little bit about your website and about the work you do and about how people can get in touch with you? Yes. So I'm mostly, you're going to find me on facets. Um, I'm the one behind the Facebook and Instagram posts and, um, and I'm, you know, you'll occasionally get emails from me. Um, if you're on our email group, but you can find us all at facets.org. Um, and like you said earlier, that's where you're going to find all kinds of information about, Um, our upcoming webinars and other training offerings that we have, Um, our training of facilitator, if you have taken the six-week course, um, there's all kinds of great things happening over there. So um, make sure you check it out. We have all kinds of resources. And if you don't already have Diane Melbourne's book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, I strongly encourage you to get that. That's a resource. You know, we've been in this, um, well, with facets for about nine years. Um, but let me tell you something. We read that book at least twice a year, um, still, um, because it's such a huge, wonderful resource. And it really does remind us of, um, when you're living it, sometimes it's good to take a step back and, and really think about what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the book. It's the go-to book. It's the book that I tell people, if you want to learn about, this is where you start. This is the starting Mm -hmm. point. And and again, how many, I want to say this is like it's second or third public, you know, publishing and and it, yeah, it's just as relevant as it was the, when it was first published. So that's an easy read. It is read. Yeah. You know, when you're in the trenches and you Mm -hmm. are just trying to find a flashlight to, to, to just navigate, it is such an easy read. And I remember reading it and giving it to my husband and we were both just able to say, okay, where do we go from here? So that Mm -hmm. that's, I'm just so thankful. And, um, I love that your husband is also trained as a facilitator too. So hopefully maybe we'll have him on the show sometime because we do have a dad cast and I know my husband would probably love to, to talk to him and, and we can get a dad point of view too. So that's (laughs) wonderful. Stacy, this has been such a joy talking with you. I just, I love how your family has been transformed through facets and through, again, just embracing, seeing your daughter, meeting her where she's at, your family. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I know this will resonate 
with our listeners, especially as they're preparing for the upcoming holiday season. I will be putting all of these wonderful points and these wonderful um, messages that you're sharing in our notes, in our program notes, as well as our social media posts for Facets Fridays. You can also find Facets on our FASDHope.com slash resources. Before we wrap up this wonderful conversation, Stacy, I like to end all of our episodes on words of hope. And you have infused a lot of hope in this episode talking about preparing for the holidays, which we know um, can bring many people stress. Mm -hmm. What are some hope takeaways that you can offer to our listeners about hope in preparing for the holiday season with your child or loved one that has an FASD or brain-based diagnosis? Yeah, for parents, you know, I would just like to say if your child is having a bad day, it's just that. It's just a bad day. Don't take it personal. Don't take up residence there. You know, just know that tomorrow is a new day. Let it go. Give yourself grace. Give yourself, you know, some time um, away. And then remember to always, always celebrate and embrace those small victories because those, there's a lot of those every day. And if we can just, um, find the joy in those small victories that can carry you through. Um, and for the FASD community, you know, big things are happening. Um, I, we talked a little bit about our wait list for our training of facilitator program, which is super exciting. It means that more and more people are wanting to get this information and, and to make the world a kinder place for individuals with brain-based differences. And that gives me all kinds of hope for a brighter future for all of our kids. So I just think, um, you know, good things are happening. Carry those, those small victories with you and, and just embrace our children where they're at. I love that. Fantastic words of hope and a fantastic episode getting ready for the holidays. Stacy Chart of <laughs> Facets, thank you so much for being on our Facets Friday episode. Thank you so much, Natalie. This was really fun. <laughs> I, I had a great time. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.